Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot, and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. My guest today is David Hogan, and we're going to talk about Carden syndrome. Hi, David. How are you doing? Hi. Thanks for um, inviting me onto the podcast. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, I love starting with a song, as uh, everyone who listens regularly knows. So what song did you choose and why? Yeah, I decided to choose a song called um, called Dream Baby Dream, which was a, a cover that Bruce Springsteen did of a band called Suicide in the late 70s. Great band to cover a song from and a great song. It gives me hope. It gives me strength. It was a song that I played to my mum when she was in hospital. Uh, she had the same rare disease as me, and she loved it as well. So it has many different meanings to me. Nice. Uh, I don't know the song, so I'll make sure to listen to it after after this. Well, that leads me to my first question, actually. You, you mentioned that your mum had... Uh, Cowden syndrome as well. So is it an inherited condition? It's a condition that can be inherited by people. or So it does run in a lot of families that have the condition. Or, But nowadays, what with the advances in, uh, in science, it is being picked up as a de, no, de novo mutation which um, I'm not an expert on explaining that, but yeah, basically the ch- that a child would have it, but it wouldn't come from the parents. I think it skips, it skips a generation or two, but yes, you know, it is, whilst more, there's more children that have it kind of uh, not through their parents. Um, okay. it, it, it's probably, I wouldn't say 50-50, but it's probably more, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit of both really, I would say now. Yeah. How did you find out that you you have the condition? I say how I found out started with a letter from my mother. She was diagnosed with a condition in her 50s uh, um, after she had thyroid cancer. And a year before she passed, she gave me this letter to give to the doctor should I want to get tested. Her words were, it's up to you. Um, I think you have it, but you don't have to get tested. She just felt it's something that I, th- I think you should at least know and make that choice. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, well, at the time, it um, there was well, no obvious symptoms um, from what I knew. And I, I, well, I, I appeared to be okay, feel okay. But it wasn't until she passed, I thought, mm, yeah, I, it's something I, I better find out more about and get tested. So yeah. about a year after she passed, I went to get tested. I found to have the condition. And I think uh, at that time, I wasn't, I was still grieving my mother. So there was a lot of emotions and feelings going on and a sense of isolation combined with that. I think I was dealing with this all on my own. Um, I have a daughter, so I got her tested. Fortunately, she doesn't have it. But that's how I found out I have Cowden syndrome. Okay. And is your mother's, um, you you mentioned thyroid cancer, is that at all related to Cowden? Yes. So Cowden's comes with um, 
an increased risk of getting certain cancers, thyroid cancer being one of them, breast cancer for women, kidney and colon cancer. It also comes with benign growths, developmental delays, and autism. So that's kind of what the condition comes with. I mean, some people suffer with it quite badly, like my mother did. Others, there's a few of us that kind of, you know, touch words. Uh, you know, I, I have a full-time job, a day job. Not impacted it, it, by it as severely as others. Well, certainly at this moment in my life, mm-hmm. I'm quite fortunate in comparison. Uh, so do you get regular checks? Yes. Yeah, so for the cancers, we, um, I have regular checks, which are kind of like uh, really important in terms of obviously getting on top of any possible cancers. So those regular checks hopefully would detect anything yes. early on. Yeah. Did you say autism at le- as well? Autism as well, yeah. Do you have any idea what the link is between like the increased risk of certain cancers and autism? I'm not quite sure on that one. Maybe it's due to the developmental delays. I'm not sure, really. Um, so in the USA, the guidelines for, for my my disease, uh, autism comes under the guidelines, whether in Europe it doesn't. I, I think that there isn't a complete answer to that one, as far as I know, partly because of different con- countries' views on, on kind of uh, the condition and how to treat it. Yeah, and it's a rare disease, so uh, there must not be that much information about it. Is it quite well documented? Um, it's starting to get slowly better, but there's still not enough information. Yeah. There's not enough, in my view, yeah. there's not enough kind of like a research being done still. Yeah, and kind of like trials, it's difficult to get patients in trials because yeah. location, their patient's health. Yeah, for for a number of reasons, we're not where we would hopefully, obviously, like to be with my my condition. And yourself, have you been assessed for autism? Well, um, in this country, um, the healthcare. So I live in the UK, and the healthcare is NHS. It's kind of good, but it's kind of like basic in some respects. Not as detailed as perhaps other countries. I'm on the waiting list to be assessed. Okay. Possibly, I've been told, but there was there's like a long wait here for that kind of assessment, and I can see where it, I I have actually been on a clinical trial in Boston. Okay. Uh, and I've yeah I was told yeah for through the trial I was told that oh, yeah you're on the spectrum somewhere, but that's obviously only research. That's not a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long process. I know um, my daughter was diagnosed uh, many years ago, and I think it was better at the time. Uh, but still, it was a long process already there. It's uh, frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. You mentioned the clinical trial. I'm quite interested to to learn a bit more. Is it something you can share about? Uh, what yeah, kind of definitely. Trial it, was? it was a trial I took part in 2018, 2019, and it was to do with a new drug that would help with the working memory processing speed, the okay. cognitive, cognitive ability of my rare disease community. 
and it was a um, so it was over in Boston uh, at the Children's Hospital. Um, and I remember at the time it was like it was like kind of like I felt like I wanted to do something really positive for the community and get something mm-hmm. out of it for myself. Obviously, it was hard because it was something new. I'd never been to the USA at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the trial uh, neuro neuropsych tests quite a bit of that kind of looking at, at, at that sort of side I finished the trial the results showed a, a, an improvement for me but um, okay. the trial hasn't F, been FDA approved because of the results I think it kind of came into COVID at the end of the trial and the results yeah. weren't kind of uh, conclusive as to whether it could be approved okay but yeah, it was certainly um, something I really was proud um, and really like felt was important to take part of. Yeah, yeah, it's very good, and especially uh, flying over to the US for it, which shows to your point earlier that it's difficult to find patients with a specific rare condition, and unfortunately, not everyone like you can can make a, a trip like this to take part in a trial. So it's very good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And one of the uh, things I, I like to quickly add about the trial was um, uh, there was one a doctor there who I still keep in contact now about any questions I may or may not have uh, around my condition. And I think that's really good that kind of you have someone in the medical community that you know, what generally cares and uh, and goes out of his way a little bit for me, he appreciated the fact I uh, part of the trial. And it's almost someone in the background there to help from a, a professional, from the, the, the professional side of, of, of my rare disease. So I just wanted to, a quick shout out to him, Dr. Sid. Well, actually, so you, you mentioned at the very beginning that you felt isolated when you found out that you have Cowden syndrome. How do you feel now? Is that isolation gone or is it still there because it's a rare disease or have you found a community to talk to? I feel it's better now for a number of reasons. I feel no particular order. Firstly, I, I feel I've got a few, not so much a community for my rare disease, but a few people that have the same condition and mm-hmm. kind of maybe one or two of them friends or good contacts who I think I'd always keep in contact. Yeah. And, and secondly, um, building a, or, or creating a community for men with rare diseases uh, has given me something I hope will be long, long, ter- long term lasting. There's a, a few men who have the same rare disease as me. So you're doing something positive and mm-hmm. um, and there's a support there, you know, or I, I support them, but the, the odd times I throw out a few questions and, and, and they support me back. So, and, and thirdly, lastly, having my partner, she lives in the USA and she has the same rare disease as me. Okay. So it, it's kind of like, no, I, I don't at all because I've kind of built a life around my rare disease and, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of like, things are kind of as good as they can be, I suppose. Um, yeah. That moment for me. Do you think it's important to to embrace it? As far as I understand, and as far as you're concerned, 
it seems like it's not necessarily impacting you from a, a physical point of view, but you mentioned men's mental health, which we're going to come back to uh, in a bit. But it sounds like having people around you who have the same condition is important. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel for me, I'm not defined by it. Yeah. Uh, my rare disease, you know, um, other things beside that. But I think, you know, when I was di- diagnosed with my, my rare disease, about a year maybe after that, I went to a rare disease UK event for rare disease that houses of parliament. And I met a guy mm-hmm. who said, if you can accept you have a rare condition, that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. And whatever that means for the individual, I, I think that's really important. Yeah. So you, you don't have to always be doing advocacy and... But I think, yeah, that acceptance, whatever the severity of your condition, is really important. That's a, that's a very good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. So going back to what you said, so you, you've built or you've put together a group focusing on mental health for men with rare disease? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, just call the group Rare Disease Male Mental Health. Well, it, it, it's kind of like meetings it's in, uh, in, uh, in, instead of a group. So Rare Disease Male Mental Health Meetings. Yeah. So I set that up in um, at the start of lockdown. I, um, I, I, start, I thought, where is my space in this scene? I, I wanted to do more, but I, also, I didn't want to do anything that anyone else was copying because I think kind of, that doesn't serve the community well and that detracts mm-hmm. what someone else is doing. Um, and I felt that I felt, well, what can I do? And it came to me that since my diagnosis, there were loads of um, amazing females, whether that be patients or female care was talking about rare diseases, but there weren't any men really. There's a one or two, but mostly not. And I kind of felt, yeah. And the conversations I'm having with men, they were like suffering in silence uh, being a, afraid to speak out about what they were going through so I thought why not kind of set up something for men make it inclusive to rare disease male patients and caregivers around the world have have meetings where we could just get together talk about what we're going through mm-hmm. share our share our experiences or just listen I think there's something powerful to be said about listening to other people's stories yeah uh, so it's been going over three years men from I know six continents. I think we've had one guy from Peru speaking Spanish um, and me trying to work out Google Translate. <laughs> uh, uh, that was unprepared, but really good. Yeah, some men from all around the world. And it's kind of like, yeah, there's there's cultural differences, but overall, I think the power of being impacted with rare disease is something we have in common. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we have more in common than what divides us. Different countries, cultures, classes, and, That's you know, it, it is hard for a number of reasons to get guys to the group. They're busy, they have families, or they're, or, 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 or they're just not comfortable coming on the Zoom. But mm-hmm. I still think there's something amazing about it when we get together and amazing about kind of like, yeah, I'm glad I've had a, not that idea that was kind of, I felt more or less original and needed for the community. Oh, yeah. How big is the group now? Um, the group, well, the group is... Regular meetings are like between five and fifteen people. 
I, I have found since lockdown kind of coming to an end, it's not as many people. I think people are getting on with their lives a bit more, um, which I understand. Or people are fed up with, with, with Zoom calls. I think a number of things. But it's still there. It's still going. And it's it's hard to still keep it relevant. But it, it's it, it's still needed, I think. So Yeah. Why do you think men suffer in silence? I think a number of reasons. I still think... I think we talk about mental health now, but without actually, particularly men, and some yeah. men, talk about their mental health. I think there's still a stigma. There's still a, a feeling of shame, not being heard, vulnerable. Also think some men are generally busy and, and, and don't make the time. I think that's an issue. Um, but also I think with that, it's a catch-22. If you don't make the time for your mental health, it's going to catch up with you. Yeah. I think I think mental health needs to be treated a bit like exercise where you need to make time for it. It's good for you to kind of make time for it and stop and pause. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of like, yeah, I still think, yeah, I still think that kind of breaking those habits and maybe those traditions around men is something that we still need a, a lot of work on and focus. So I think it's still an ongoing thing. It just needs to keep keep working at it, really. Yeah, it's interesting because you're completely right that men still, there's still a stigma around men having to be strong. But I, I feel like this stigma is within the men community rather than being something that's imposed from women. And I, I don't like doing generalities or anything, but like there's so much openness about mental health nowadays about not necessarily having to be strong all the time and from what i see men don't seem to embrace that is that that do you agree with that yeah yes i do actually i i think men do kind of like they'd rather talk about sports or they'd rather <laughs> like indulge in banter i think that's a you know rather than kind of like or, or in some cases, get a, a, um, frustrated, aggra- a, a, um, aggressive, maybe, rather mm-hmm. than kind of open up about what, what they're, they're going through. Yes, I, I think that's a good point, actually. Yeah, the male thing, really. Yeah, that's true. And uh, you you said something, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but you, like the more you work on your mental health, the, the easier it gets. But it's a bit the same between men until you start actually having deep conversations, it's very, it's almost taboo. Like you don't know how to get into those conversations. But once you start going into deeper conversations, actually talking about yourself, how you feel, then it gets easier and easier and it gets part of the norm. But it's breaking that barrier to stop talking about, stop trying to have fun or having banter and, and being a bit deeper that I'm sure would make us all feel a bit better. Yeah, that's so true, actually. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're not able to have those deeper conversations with someone, that makes it harder to, to take care of mental health. Yeah. So what do you talk about in, in those meetings? So we would talk about a number of things really related to the mental health side of living with a rare disease. So that could be 
being a rare caregiver, being a rare patient trying to get help with the medical system, which at times can be challenging when you have a rare disease. Relationships, how it impacts being a rare son or or her romantic partners. Bereavement, we've, we've talked about that. We also have, um, I, I like inviting male speakers in the community to kind of like give their perspective, share their views, experience, stories. So a number of things really challenges around working with a, with a job as well. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's another one that's been brought up. Yeah, filling that space with stuff that, that's important to the guys. And you find that there's a lot of things impact their life slightly differently than some, well, a man with a, who doesn't have a rare disease. Yeah. And you mentioned medical care, how much, like, how difficult it is to get medical care when you have a, a rare disease. Can you share a bit more about that? I think one of the challenges is around being listened to and getting the right support that you need. I would say that, that that's something that's come up. Other things around kind of medication and the cost of medication, whether in the USA, whether that's through insurance or not, that's still not straightforward. Or, or we recently had a guy come on from Africa and he come from a low in, income, but he has to pay for his medication. So yeah, never straightforward, as I've said. Is medication more expensive to treat rare diseases? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I, I had a caregiver come on and he mentioned about the cost of his child's medication. I think like for my drug that I was on at the trial in, in Boston, it was 28000 a month. Uh, that's in dollars. So yeah, it, it's it's a lot. I think even regardless of your income, uh, for most you know, for most people, it's, it's it's a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. How can people find the group? So we have, like I said, monthly meetings on Zoom, twice monthly now. So if you email uh, men's rare disease mh at gmail dot com, if you're interested in coming to the meetings. That's how you can get hold of me. Or I'm on LinkedIn as Dave Hogan and Instagram, Men's Rare Disease, MH. You can message me on those two platforms as well. Okay. How do you manage to get different time zones aligned? Is that, does that work easily or not? It is, it is hard uh, and, and kind of like I probably say I exclude people from the east of the world Mm-hmm. Because it's at 4 p.m. and 5 p.m., the two meetings a month. Yeah. Having said that, I'm doing a rare disease day meeting for people in the East. 7 a.m., I'm going to have to get up my time. It, it is a little difficult, but the people that regularly come uh, are from Europe and the USA. So that's kind yeah. of the main reason why we're on those time zones. But I'm willing to try new things. And um, this meeting uh, for rare disease day next Thursday will maybe bringing one or two new people. Well, that's amazing. I always admire people like you who get out of their way to, to find something to do to help the community. It's needed. And I always think the healthcare system should provide more. But at the same time, I'm starting to think more and more that... There, there's also a place for the community uh, because the healthcare system 
can only focus on, on certain parts. So it's great that you're providing something different. And I love it that you're focusing on, on mental health for men, because I completely agree with you that it's needed. Yeah, you don't do enough you. of it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Which leads me to, to my last question, which I love asking everyone that comes on the podcast. What's your happy place, the place where you feel at peace? Well, I'd have to currently choose two because my partner lives in the USA. Okay. So that firstly would be New Mexico, where she lives. That's okay. my first happy place. I'm currently spending time there, more or less half the year at the moment. Mm -hmm. And secondly, in the UK, that's a tough one. There's a few more places to choose, but I'd have to say my kind of nearest local city, Chichester, it's uh, just such a lovely city. It, it's not a big city. There's a lot there to do uh, 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 and see, and it's, it's just a beautiful, lovely place where I feel happy as well. Nice. It's good to have two happy places, actually. <laughs> Lucky, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time and again for what you're doing in the rare disease community. That's amazing. So thanks a lot. Thank you, Sylvain. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be invited on and it's been a great to talk to you today.